Hey, everybody. Welcome to Five Questions. Uh, today's guest is Adam Wasserman. He's a flywheel sports lead and master instructor in New York City. He and I first met way back in the late 90s when we attended University of Rhode Island's theater program, both as acting majors. Many, many years went by before we linked up after our, our lives took some different paths, me to L.A., him to New York. But it was awesome. Right when we reconnected, it was like nothing had changed. You know how that goes. I'm sure you all have friends like that. You just pick right back up where you left off. So I stayed with Adam for a few days when I was in New York taking a course and, uh, you know, felt compelled, man. He's, he's a great person, a wonderful friend of mine, and I knew he had some stories to tell. So I asked him to uh, be a guest. Thankfully, he said yes. Meet Adam. What's something you don't currently know that you feel compelled to know before you die? Hmm. <clears throat> something I don't currently like I'm compelled to know before I die. Wow. That, I mean, that's my, my in, intuition immediately, my, my gut went to trust. Mm. Like actual, real, authentic trust. Okay. Because I don't know that I inherently trust. I don't know I ever really have. I feel like I've been very guarded around that specifically. Mm-hmm. And the experience of really being in a trustworthy, honest, open, no limitations, no... Uh, conditions... type of relationship and whether it's a friendship or whether it's a romantic relationship but something where it's just I don't know I just feel like people talk a lot yeah and people share a lot and I talk a lot and I share a lot yeah um but there's something about a bond of trust mm-hmm. that I feel like I don't know yeah totally feel like I want to know what that's like before I die so what what's like the line you know what I mean like you say some people share a lot some people talk a lot but like what's the line for you the sharing line because you say you talk a lot and share a lot the deepest darkest fears <laughs> oh cool uh, but also but, easy, it's, but it's not but it's not always yeah. but it's not always about negative too but it's, right. it's, it's also about like fantasy and it's also about mm. not being afraid to share what I really want and yeah. not being afraid to because sometimes I feel like we layer on we just layer on a lot of judgment and sometimes I think it's courageous to actually share what you do want and you, what you do fantasize about yeah 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 you know because uh, I yeah. think sometimes it it gets this idea that it's silly or it's impossible or people could laugh at it or or ridicule it or make fun of it and there's something courageous about also sharing that kind of hope mm. and wish and fantasy and so it's also like the deep dark scary stuff and like, what are you most afraid of? Right, right, right. What are you, like, what, what's, you know, what sends a chill up your spine, but then also like, what are you?
your dreams, what your fantasies. Yeah. For sure. That makes sense. Absolutely. So then you talk about fears. What's your greatest fear? Hypocrisy. Mm. And what, like? I'm so scared of being a hypocrite. Yeah. Actually. Really? Um, mm -hmm, 100%. I feel like hypocrisies are, are, are so inherent in the human condition sometimes because we often say things that we believe, but we don't always have the self-awareness to realize that we're actually committing the very thing that we're... <laughs> Yeah. You know, standing on a big soapbox about, and I stand on soapboxes about a lot of things sometimes at work and sometimes in life, but um, I'm petrified of being a hypocrite. Really? Has it showed up in your life yet? Have you found yourself to be a hypocrite at points? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, like, in ways that you don't you know, that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. But then it's a reality check and you think to yourself, I've said this so many times about like not doing this and here I am doing this. Right, totally. You know, I mean, it, it could be something as simple as like, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot to uh, the people that I work with is this notion of being seen and oftentimes that people just want to be seen. Yeah. And... <laughs> acknowledged for the hard work that they do mm. and that can take many forms and for me it's oftentimes like what people the kind of effort that people put through in class yeah right you know when they're working really really yeah, hard yeah. and I'm watching them work at, at their peak intensity or whatever right. and I'm watching them try really really hard right and to be doing all that work and not being seen by an instructor or by the person who's sort of in charge or leading um I feel like that's a missed opportunity yeah. for that person to experience some reward for yeah. the hard work that they do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, do, we all just kind of, and that's a human condition thing. I mean, we all want to be seen right. and acknowledged. And the analogy that I make is, you know, it's like when you get off the subway and there's a million people getting off the subway and some jerk rushes in front of you to get up the stairs because they have to get in front of you because they've got some place to be. Right. And they've shoved you out of the way, almost like you don't even exist. Yeah. And paying you no mind whatsoever. Yeah. When, if that person had taken a second and just looked at you for a second and said, I'm in a huge rush, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And seen you and acknowledged that they're pushing you out of the way, somehow though that's forgivable totally. because you've been acknowledged and your presence has been seen and felt. Right. And you would say, go, my yeah, God, go, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Versus to be completely ignored and shoved out of the way, you then feel like, what if... <laughs> now, yeah. fill in the blank. Right. <laughs> um, and so sometimes I feel like in those, those experiences, and, and I try to pay particular attention to it when I'm in a rush or I'm late for something and I'm often late. Um, <laughs> and, and I need to get somewhere. I know for sure in the past I've absolutely cut in front of somebody and now because I've made an example of it in, in training and, and in, in class, 
I do make a point now to like not be that person yeah. because I feel like I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't ever want to be seen as preaching something and not believing it or not practicing it. Right. And I feel like the hypocrisy, the, the hypocrite's dilemma mm-hmm. or the hypocrite's journey is like, it's just not one I ever, ever want to be a part of. It, 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 it does make me feel a sense of panic. Yeah, interesting. Not part of the five questions. Well, not one of the five questions, but have you ever had a panic attack? Yeah, 100% yes. Really? Yes. What's it like? I've never, I, to my knowledge, if you don't mind. No, yeah. yeah. So I, the only panic attack that I can say without any question was a panic attack was when I was first living in New York. I was here for under a year and I'd gone to school to be an actor and I was finding it very challenging, despite having been set up very well to be successful on paper. Mm-hmm. In practice, going out and auditioning and, and not being able to fit into a particular type was really hard. And so then I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I, you know, this isn't working. Ugh, I don't really have, I don't know what I want to do. And so I had this it was that quintessential um, people talk about the quarter life crisis it did happen when I was, it was I was 25 and a half um, <laughs> quarter life plus yeah 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 um, so I was going through that I was temping at an at an ad agency and I was you know being offered a, a, a an opportunity to go full time and I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do and I didn't I mean that world was great and the people were cool and the job was fun and it was a bunch of young people but I didn't know if I was ready to walk away from acting in the theater and I just didn't know my way and I was alone for the first time actually being an adult out of school out of the comfort of having any sort of schedule that was planned for me and, and having to plan my own and making my way and figuring out my day and it was just a lot of stress it was a lot of that like early adulthood stress where you just don't really know what you're doing and if you're doing anything right and then I was sort of dating this guy (laughs) (laughs) and he it was you know he was really nice and he was very very attractive and he was very sweet and he was a little bit older than me and and I enjoyed our time together and I think what I did was I put too much on him mm-hmm. and I didn't really know him. Right. And in my doing that, he became this rock and not ever really deserving that kind of role yeah. in my life. But yeah. it was the only thing that I had that was approaching stability. Right. And that wasn't even really right. stable because I, but again, I didn't really know. I just, I had, I had nothing. I was grasping onto literally nothing. Yeah. And, uh, I have a particular set of issues around being forgotten and being, left behind or being abandoned or not or when people lose touch with me and he was on a trip for work and he wasn't answering my text messages and I 
fucking lost it. Why? Wow. I panicked. I went into full panic mode Holy because shit. I couldn't get in touch with him and I literally had nothing else yeah. to hold on to. Totally. Totally. And then I felt, it's like you're, uh, the, it's like the analogy of being like a buoy out in the middle of the ocean in a raging storm and there's just nothing that you can stabilize. There's nothing that you can hold on to to find any kind of stability. Mm. And it was... I just... I did. I felt like the weight of all of these pending decisions and uncertainty right. were crashing around me. Mm. And my heart was racing. And I was breathing really slow trying to breathe really slowly I couldn't sleep I could I you know I was tossing and turning the lights came back on you know I turned the lights on and I was just like in my room it's you know 2 30 in the morning I I'm not able to catch my breath mm -hmm. I'm not able to to breathe normally my heart is racing in my chest I know that I need to get to sleep because I have to be at work in the morning it's like this, it's like yeah. this, the rolling sort of like the, the snowball effect of, of all the, and then it's like you panic because it's too late and you yeah, have to get up right. in the morning and you have all this other yeah. stuff. And blah, 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 blah. I went to bed that night. I, so I turned the lights out again. I crawled back in bed and the only thing, that <laughs> the only thing that was able to calm me down was closing my eyes and imagining a dozen golden retriever puppies <laughs> jumping around me and licking my face and playing like that yeah that that was the only thing that was able to get me to a place of calm and peace and relaxation was just being surrounded by something that was happy yeah I guess right like pure happiness totally yeah and nothing <laughs> says pure happiness like it doesn't go which that made me feel really good when you said it out loud like I'm just sitting here like oh fucking that because they're like licking you and you're all like totally but it's the most like, fun thing ever and, and you love it and, all over and, and they're so soft yeah. and they're so pudgy and they're so playful and yeah it brought a sense of ease and calmness to me, and I was, and that—that that was the last thought that I had. I will never forget that. It was the last thought that I had before I was able to fall asleep. And granted, I only slept for a few hours. I was up, you know, by five in the morning. Right. I got to work super early. The very first thing I did was I went to Google, and I was like, "Therapist, yeah. New York City, <laughs> go!" Like, you know, how do I find myself into uh, some kind of? I need help. <laughs> I need some guidance. I can't do this on my own. It's, it's amazing that you have, you know, I meet people and I've obviously talked to a lot of people, but like the idea, and it just in my life, not just five questions, yeah, 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 but like yeah. people have, when you're able to have a sort of rock bottom moment, right? You know, uh, I need golden, golden retriever puppies moment. And then, and then, but being able to follow that up with a, I need help. Yep. You know, like that's difficult. I think a lot of people in our day and age, or probably all of all time, especially in America, no, whatever, qualifying, I don't want to qualify it, but yep. I think a lot of people don't believe they need help. They think they can do it on their own. Oh, I can do this. I got this. If I can't do it, I'm weak. All this shit. 
So like what? Obviously, you took a serious dive. Mm-hmm. But had you thought about therapy before that? I mean, was that like a thing or? No, it's funny. Is was it like the first time it came up? I had always wondered about whether or not I would go to therapy, and I knew that it was something that was available to me. I had an inkling of an idea that I, I, I didn't approach relationships right. And I have these violent reactions when things don't go a certain way in relationships and something about that's not right. Mm. I didn't have anybody in my life that had ever seen a therapist. But there was something about it when I moved to New York. It was almost like I kind of just knew it was going to happen. Mm. Yeah. And now I firmly believe that everybody needs a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know? Yeah. Uh, it, I dated a guy once who said it's like he, he goes to get his brain massaged. Yeah, totally. I, I, it's actually funny because I dated him before I moved to New York City. Hmm. Uh, and I wonder if maybe that's where mm, yeah, like a seed. those little seeds got mm. planted. Mm-hmm. And it became like, a, well, it's responsible to do. And it's, I can't do it on my own. Right. Totally. And there's a lot of things that I maybe think that I know or that I'm, I might flatter myself and think that I'm over, above, well, or very well aware of right. or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But that's flown right back right. in my face a million times. So right. I feel like it was sort of inevitable. Yeah. What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life? It's always say goodbye. Mm. Is there one example or uh, is it a general that you can kind of point to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'll use both generally. Yeah. Any, I will, I, I have a history of avoiding saying goodbye. Okay. I have a history of preferring see you later Mm. than goodbye Mm. and I don't know Mm. when I was in grad school I went to a funeral for a young woman who was going back for her second semester of college and she was the daughter of my partner's co-worker Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's a teacher. It was a fellow teacher. Yeah. And it was her daughter. Wow. Claire. And I'll never forget going to her funeral. I didn't know Claire. Right. But her funeral was, I'll never forget it. It was the first funeral that I'd ever gone to. I didn't know her, but to be surrounded by all of these people grieving for her. And also, I mean, I knew, I knew, um, her mom through my partner at the time mm-hmm. and it was a it was a ceremony at a church and then the casket was open and I didn't go around because I didn't know her and I didn't feel like it was respectful for me to go to somebody that I didn't know so every, people were making the rounds and going through and saying goodbye and then they closed the casket and I will never forget when they closed the casket and her mom I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the the 
moment that that casket closed and like, her mom had to say goodbye. And that for me was like, I remember thinking to myself, that finality and that goodbye and that is, it was hard to watch. It was hard to be around. And then it, I think that experience has, it never left me. And I think it's been a lot, it's been a lot of the reason why I go back to that as a principle around separation and goodbye that have, it's, it's come back in my life in, mm. in different ways. Um, when I ended up having to separate from that partner and I came to New York, we tried to do long distance and then it didn't work. And then two years later, I went go, to go back to where I went to grad school and we had lunch and it was great. And I said goodbye to him. And he was moving away. He was moving to the other half of the country and I was going to the other half of the country. Right. And that goodbye was, again, on the caliber of, but now it was personal because now right. it was somebody that I did know that I was, I, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. Right. And you've made a huge impact on my life. And I love you. Yeah. And we can't be together. Right. That was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. But, like, flashback to being, like, six and saying goodbye to my grandparents when we took a family trip to Disney World. And my brother and I and my parents were standing outside the hotel. My grandparents were with us for a certain part of the, part of the trip. And they had to get on a bus to go to the airport to go back home. And we said goodbye, and my brother and I were standing there screaming, like, not just crying, but, like, wailing. Enough that every single passenger that was sitting on the side of the bus facing the hotel was, like, looking out the window at us <laughs> and sort of, like, being, oh, how cute. Yeah. Meanwhile, we were, like, I can speak for myself. Yeah. I was petrified, horrified at the experience of having to say goodbye to them. So wow. it's, it's this whole thing of saying goodbye. Hmm. My aunt passed away hmm. a few years ago. She was diagnosed with brain cancer, and then four months later, she was gone. Um, and it was it was rapid. It was quick. It was ugly. It was it was unfair in every sense of the word. And same thing. And now now I'm at a funeral for somebody that I do know. Yeah, who's my family? Who's yeah. my aunt? Yeah. And um, I had to give a speech at that, and it was like. That was really hard, but then I, I made it through that, but then I sat down and I, I just lost it. Sure. Saying goodbye is 100%. Yeah. The, it, it, it's, it's not the hardest. Mm-hmm. It's ritually among of the many times that I do it. It's always the hardest thing that I have to do because it's always like crippling. So what do you, what do you think you can do to approach it? You know, I mean, is it something you think you can cope, adjust, or whatever? It stems from having been abandoned. Yeah. And so because it's such a um, there's a book that's called The Primal Wound and I haven't read it yet. Okay. But it's all about that sort of like initial trauma. And is it about adoption? It's about adoption. Okay. And it's about when uh, as I understand it it's about that the, the primal wound is that the earliest traumatic experience of being separated from your birth mother and from the person who you 
coexisted with for nine months. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it goes on. And I mean, I've read other adoption books and, and that honestly, I've been avoiding reading that one because I feel like I, you know, there's only so many books that I can read that I yeah. can, I, I just, you know, can dive into and feel comfortable with like the, the wormhole of emotion that it sort of brings in. But it, it, a lot of it has to do with abandonment and separation anxiety and, and the discomfort of saying goodbye and detachment mm-hmm. and, um, so I don't know what the answer is. You know, I'm I'm in the process now currently of like working to find therapists that are able to help me in this particular arena with this particular set of needs. Right. So I'm hopeful that there is an answer. I'm hopeful yeah. that there is a coping strategy or that it is just coming to peace with or knowing that it's part of life and accepting. You know, I mean, their goodbyes are inevitable. Like kind of we said earlier, right? Sure. Um, that the goodbyes are sort of inevitable and that yeah. nothing is forever right. and everything is temporary. Yeah. Um, permanence is, uh, is for cement. Permanence is for <laughs> rocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Permanence. And even that. And not even. No, no, totally. Um, so, so being comfortable with that, I think, yeah. is in sort of just accepting the fact that, yeah, no, we're all mortal and moral right. and things come to an end and right. there are chapters that will continue to close and right. accepting that I think and being comfortable with it and the thing is Steve it's like knowing that that's life but that's not that's normal and that's part of life I think my old brain goes into that in the first rupture mm-hmm. which was so close that everything then becomes about that first rupture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's not about... It's not about the moment you're living. It's no. It's how it brings up... It's the triggers. Yeah. It's all the triggers. It's yeah. the trigger points. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... it's um, I made the analogy the other day about, like, um, you know, when you go and you see these movies, you know, think about, like, the movie um, that Catherine Zeta-Jones was in. Um, uh, in France and and entrapment. Oh, I didn't remember see that. that movie? I was thinking of Irreversible. No, because it was movie Entrapment, and okay. and um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about the other one. <laughs> and there's this scene. I believe it's Entrapment. Okay. And there's a scene where she has to like go like rob a jewelry store. Okay. They just like jewelry store. I don't know. Yeah. I could be making this up. Uh, so maybe like just, new story. Just double check it. We're we're copywriting this. But so like. <laughs> In the when they're doing this robbery, yeah. they have those laser oh yeah, yeah. wire the lasers yeah, like the, in the room uh-huh. that will trip the trip the alarm or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's that's what happens. It's not about the actual totally. moment. It's about tripping and like walking through this minefield <laughs> yeah. of laser wires that like light up every insecurity right. from the past right. versus it actually being about the stuff that's happening in the present. Right. But it sounds like I mean. Obviously, you had a severely traumatic experience when you were tiny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my question about coping, like, it sounds like you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, from a friend to a friend, mm-hmm. you know, you're approaching it from the sense of trying to, we talked about earlier, comprehending and then utilizing. What did you say? It was fucking genius about comprehension versus application, application right? So you comprehend what is happening. You're very conscious of that. 
and so you're doing the best you can, but it still doesn't change the fact that that thing is still... Well, it's applying what you learn, right? That right. application is very different than comprehension. It's right. a totally different thing. Yeah. I can comprehend and understand something, but can I apply what I've learned right. and put it to use? Right. And... And I think that that's what I'm starting to do. Yeah. You know, when I started therapy, all, when I had that panic attack where I had to think about mm -hmm. the golden retriever puppies and all that stuff, right? When I started going to therapy, I started, I, see, I had seen two therapists in my time in New York now. Uh, and each therapy relationship began with me saying, there are things I don't want to talk about. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are places that I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. I won't mm -hmm. go there. It's just not, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not, it mm -hmm. has nothing to do with, you know, I had all these, it has everything to do with it. It has every it's, single thing to do. That's the fucking point. It's, the, I mean, I that's mean, the root. And I, and, and the thing that I'm sort of kicking myself for is that like for 10 years, I've basically been dumping money into therapy and not having the courage or the ability to be able to say, I need to go through this and yeah. talk about this. I'm glad that I'm here now and doing it. I'm mm -hmm. glad that it's taken me sure. this long. I'm, ha I'm happy to have arrived here. Yeah. I feel like some people never get to that point. 100%. Yeah. And so I'm grateful to have had that epiphany and that awakening and that sort of aha. Like, oh, it's everything to do with every relationship I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Romantic, friendship, family relationship professional relationship it comes in in every way shape and form right and so yes uh i feel like it's been a challenge i'm in, it, it's like it's like here's a night here here's how i've i had this big sort of aha in in january eight months ago and i feel like the first several months were like a discovery everything was like this epiphany and this discovery of like these are all of the relationships that I've torched because they left mm -hmm. or I felt like they were slipping away or they got busy and forgot about me mm -hmm. or, or I thought they forgot about me or, and so therefore I fucking iced them yeah. and I completely severed every, and so it was like, oh, I did it to this person and did it to this person and did it happen here and here and here. And it just, all the lights came on and it was like, Oh my God. And so then the next several months were sort of like, research and amend mm -hmm. amending mm -hmm. amending the relationships mm -hmm. making amendments or whatever they call them like it's like it was some sort of home form of like AA you know yeah, yeah. Like you have to like call back people uh, and like yeah, apologize for being a douchebag I'll google it I'll put it in yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it was I mean it was that process of like yeah. making amends or whatever yeah yeah but then it became about research and starting mm -hmm. to really dig into and seek out information around what happened and what the state of the world was like in Colombia in, in the early eighties and, and then, and then learning about all the stuff that was going on. And, and then it sort of has evolved into now this like broad research then gets sort of honed into like, well then what, where do I fit into that? Mm. And I don't know. And so I'm still sort of in that. It's now been sort of like the, the epiphany into like this research phase and now it's sort of into this very much self discovery and, and very much about, investing in and feeling comfortable about exploring me yeah and I don't know I guess to, that's that's where sort of I that's where things right have been left off
So, to kind of switch gears a little bit, please. <laughs> Before bed. Um, yeah. What's your greatest accomplishment? Hmm. Hmm. I know you're really young, so, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have done that Shut much. Shut up, yeah. <laughs> um, my greatest accomplishment? I hate to bring it back to this, but it, it really is, Steve. And I, and I think it's the thing that I am most proud of. I've had a lot of things that have been, that one could, 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 could see as like really great accomplishments. I've, whether it's like gotten like the, the lead role in a play mm -hmm. or, um, you know, in grad school, I was one of eight people selected out of 800 or whatever to, to go into a, a fully paid scholarship. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I had an agent in my, Union cards when I left grad school. I got a great job. I created my own roles and companies. I've I've accomplished a lot that's a lot to be proud of, but you know what's funny is that like even in all of those moments that were you know, I had this award at, at Digitas at the ad agency that I worked for it was the heart of the company <laughs> that was like you know, people nominated you for, so it was yeah. like a really reflection of who you were within the brand, but that it was a peer nominated thing. Yeah. You know, that's a great, that's a great accomplishment. But like, I never, I never felt a real sense of joy because there was always something about it that felt like I didn't deserve it mm -hmm. or I wasn't worthy of it mm -hmm. or that it, it, that as great as it was, it, it must be a mistake or I must have been like a, a second choice. And all of those feelings around not being, not not deserving it or not having earned it go back. It all goes back to sure. that idea of not being wanted and not feeling like you're enough. Because mm. if I was enough, I wouldn't have been given away. Right. And so it, it, it all continues to come back. And so my ability to feel a real sense of joy and pride and healthy pride and, and ownership over some of those great accomplishments that have happened in my life, I never really did. Hmm. Um, and, and I have to say that I feel like now my greatest accomplishment is actually having been able to say, I can't do this and I need, I need help. Yeah. I, I, I can't do the work of figuring out how to relate to people and deal with my abandonment and the adoption and all that stuff. And I can't do that on my own. Right. But the accomplishment was being able to say, my life is not working out and it hasn't been working out in the ways that I want it to work out and it continually falls short and it continually fails. And now to have been able to say, yeah. And now I'm like, I can't be afraid of it. I have to embrace it. Yeah. It's part of my story. Absolutely. You know, the, again, I'm all about analogies. The, 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 the image that I had when I, when I first had the, this like big epiphany on that call, was like, imagine that you have a really disfiguring scar mm -hmm. on your back. Mm -hmm. It's really big. It's really disfiguring. Yeah. But from the front, you can't see it. Totally. And when I look in the mirror, I can't see it. Mm. It's still there. Mm. And you kind of know it's there, but you don't really care. You know, it's, it's back. 
it's in the moment when I stood in a 360 degree mirror yeah and you look at yourself as a really whole person and that you know what that that dis, quote unquote disfiguring scar isn't that scary right and it's part of me yeah it's part of who I am it's connected to me forever mm-hmm. and it's it's either going to be my choice to continue to pretend like it doesn't exist or to embrace it and to own it yeah and then that scar in my brain became like not a scar it yeah. became that little baby right that I had essentially been turning away from right right and so in essence I was almost abandoning myself so I was I was doing to myself what was done to me you became the hypocrite I became the hypocrite <laughs> fuck man and the idea of holding and nurturing that inner child and that 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 child that was that just needs to be held and yeah. needs to be told that it's yeah. okay and needs to be told that you'll be fine and you're loved and you're right. worthy and you're accepted and you're enough yeah those were the hardest moments in January February and March and quite frankly even still yeah when you really go into that sadness and that depth and you go into that healing place and you really tend to that because we all have that inner child yeah absolutely you ever see the image in fact I just saved it the other day because I, I saw it on somebody's um somewhere somewhere some right. post or whatever right <laughs> and um Instagram or something and it was that sculpture from Burning Man which and it was the um it's this beautiful sculpture of a of a of a man and a woman but they're built out of like you can see through them it's like it's yeah. like they're just like the um they're seats but like, yeah essentially it's not skeletons yeah, it's not the like, skeleton uh, but it's like I don't know what you mean yeah like almost like a blueprint you know yeah. what I mean that, that doesn't have like the you know the masonry done you just yeah, yeah, see yeah. the bone the, the structure or whatever for that too I'll go through that yeah <laughs> but it's like this man and they're 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 facing away they're sitting down and they're facing away from each other and their okay. backs are touching and yeah. they're both sort of bent over and they're they're in angst and then you can see inside of the two bodies mm-hmm. and there are these solid children interesting that are reaching for each other yeah 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 and it was just like this yeah for sure notion of your we all have this inner child that needs to be taken care of and yeah. that just wants to connect to somebody else totally. you know and and learn how to heal those those things and those wounds and those ruptures or whatever I know that that's what has to happen I think my 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 little inner child baby needs to know that that it's okay and that going back to your first question the idea of being able to trust somebody yeah that you can yeah you will
What will you miss the most when you're gone? Hmm. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> um. <laughs> End of interview. <laughs> that would be fucking perfect. Can you please that? That's. If you don't want to expand, that's totally fine. <laughs> um. You know what's interesting is I often think about this. Um, breathing. Mm. It's so fundamental and so basic. Like some people might miss the water, yeah, miss the beach, or miss the sunshine, or I'm gonna miss wine. I'm gonna miss my rose. I miss smoking. Rose. Right. <laughs> There's something so immediately. Because the thing is that we do, Steve, is like we get stressed out, we forget to breathe. Yeah. When things get really tough or we, we panic, we forget to breathe. Fucking okay, right? And, and that's the thing that um, I'm constantly reminding people of all the time. Mm. Breathe. Take a deep breath. Take several deep breaths. Mm -hmm. Connect to it. Yeah. And there's nothing better than a beautiful, deep breath several of them <laughs> you know what I mean yeah absolutely when you when you get in bed right before you fall asleep it's like uh, <laughs> right I mean, you do like, the feet in the bottom totally of the bottom. right <laughs> when you wake up in the morning the first thing you do is yeah big uh, yawn right totally. I mean it's like yeah. it's so it's so essential and it's so undervalued and it's so underappreciated and it's so it's so unseen and yeah. unacknowledged yeah. for what it really represents and for what it, what, it, what it can do. Yeah. I'm gonna miss taking a big giant deep breath and feeling that sense of calm mm -hmm. and relaxation and centering mm -hmm. and clarity mm -hmm. that only a healthy, full, Connected breath will give you. That's it. Yeah, we're done. That's easy, right? <laughs> Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, again, check us out at fivequestions.me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole thing. And check out Adam on Instagram at Adam D. Wasserman. Thanks for tuning in. Take care.